Father in heaven, we're so thankful to thee. So thankful, Lord, that we can be in thy house in this day and to be moved by thy spirit as we fellowship together and as we would look into your word. Thankful, Lord, that we've already experienced that uh, in the Bible class and thankful for the brother that, that led the discussions and would pray, Lord, now as we would look into your word that you'd give us instruction where it's needful. We each find ourselves in different places and at different phases of our lives, confronted with different struggles, but Lord, they're all, none are unique to Thee, and, and none are outside of Your ability to speak to our need. And so as we would look into Your Word, Lord, pray that the verses that we would share in this day would be particular to each one of us, and that collectively we could also come away with a blessing. Be with the many who can't be with us, that um, struggle with different infirmities and, and with different struggles of, of all various kinds. Lord, pray that you'd be their keeper and, and their encouragement and their stay in this day. Father, now as we would look into your word, we'll expect and thank you for a blessing in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I ask you to turn with me to Peter's second epistle, uh, chapter 1 of Second uh, Peter. Excuse me. I know this is a little atypical, but I'm. We're just going to get in and start reading. I don't. I want to. Don't want to come up with a big introduction like I normally would do. Um, just ask if you'd turn with me to Second Peter chapter one, and we'll we'll read the whole chapter. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, according as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of those things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet that as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I'll endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunning, 
cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice from him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. the whole first chapter of second peter <clears throat> obviously just by title um second peter being the the second letter that peter wrote to the to the brethren um we know in the first chapter i think he says um he writes to the to the Strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. He's writing to the, the scattered brethren all over the, the new world there, or the known world. And his first letter, if you read the first chapter of First Peter and you read the first chapter of Second Peter, there's a lot of consistencies. There's a lot of themes that, that are, are, are talked about both times. But in his second letter, Peter's in a different place. It's, it seems to be only a few years later that he's written this one. But he, as he alludes to in the back half of the chapter, um, knows that his days are coming to an end. Knows that his time is not going to be much longer on this earth. He's in prison or likely in some kind of um, incarceration um, before Nero and, and is, knows that, that his time on earth here is, is quickly passing. And so he sees fit and sees a need or a necessity to reach out to the brethren again and, and to write a second letter. And so it's, it's interesting when he, he starts um, not necessarily saying to all these scattered brethren, but call, he kind of groups them together and says, To them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. As we've been talking in the Bible studies on Wednesday night, we know about some of the conflict that took place about joining these Jewish Christians and the Gentiles together. And the things, you know, they, when they spoke about a like precious faith, we use that phrase in our, dare I say, modern church vernacular just to say about our, our like precious faith. But as they were doing it at that point, it was really trying to join together two completely different approaches to that faith that they had received. The, the Jewish Christians who are now, or Messianics, I guess if we want to say it that way, who are embracing Christianity, and the Gentiles who are coming from a completely divergent background and now experiencing that, that faith together. And he addresses them both in one and says, those who have obtained like precious faith through the righteousness of God and our Savior, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he, he starts to address, and this is the heart of the chapter, he starts to address their, their faith and where it, where it stands and where it can be built. And I, I'd like to kind of build this together or dissect it, whatever 
direction we're, we're going to describe that. He says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us, unto, called us to glory and virtue. That God has given us by his divine power all the things that pertain unto life and godliness. What a beautiful, powerful statement. If we would just walk away from that passage, and I, I guess this is where I'm coming from today, is I think many, many times, in not just in, in our lives, but in a world of faith, in the faith world, we have no trouble accepting that God has given us, all, by His divine power, that He's given us all things that would pertain unto life and godliness. That's the very heart of accepting our relationship with Him. That's, that's the essence of forsaking of our old nature and recognizing that by His divine power, He's given us everything that we need to live redeemed lives. And what an amazing statement that is. What an amazing peace that is. As believers, we know what that peace is. We, we know and we've experienced the, the joy that comes with the facts of that statement. And in our previous state, as, as those outside the fold, as those that had not been redeemed, we also know how powerless we were to attain those things without his divine power applied to our lives. We know how hard we tried to do all of these different things and had no success at them. Had no success at being victorious over sin. Had no success over being victorious over our, our, our angry nature or our covetous nature or whatever whatever was the 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 hook that Satan had in our lives, and many hooks in, in most of our cases. We know that we were powerless because we were not um, partaking of his divine power. But because we have, as, as believers, because we've partaken of his divine power and allowed it to be applied to our lives, he's given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him that called us by glory and virtue. Whereby? are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature, having, ex having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Another beautiful statement. Because we've been partakers of his divine nature, his divine power has empowered us and eschewed evil in our lives, or given us the power over evil in our lives. We now have all of these great and precious promises all the ones that are contained in Scripture, all of these promises can be applied to our lives and we can be partakers of those things. And we've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Think about that. Simply by having His divine power given unto us and all of those things that pertain unto life and godliness, because of His power, we have all of the victory. We can have all the victory. We can have all of the promises. We can have all of the empowerment. And that would be an awesome spot to just stop and walk off. I mean, that's a, that's a mic drop moment. Not mic me, but like a microphone drop moment. To, to say that God has given us these things. That, that we have these promises and have these experiences that we can apply to our lives. And we should write a thousand songs. I, could, I can't think of a thousand, but I can think of ten songs off the top of my head 
that directly come from these particular verses. So it's a little surprising when Paul continues, Paul, no, I'm probably going to do that again today, when Peter continues and says, and beside this, in addition to this, not instead of this, but beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. There's another time for, another, in a, for a sermon to be preached about the individual aspects there. I'm not going to break those individually down today. That's, they're important, but for the thought that, that I have the, this morning, the individualism of them, or whatever, is, is not important. But he says, <clears throat> after laying out how perfect God's plan and how powerful his power in our lives is, he says, besides this, or therefore, or because of that, be diligent and add to your faith all of these things. And at face value, you take that and you go, well, okay, that's nice, but why is it necessary? Why is it necessary? If his divine power has given me all of these things already, why is there anything else that I need to add? Or that why is there something else that needs to be made an application or added to this? Well, he says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, well, now it's starting to sound a little more, um, not incriminating is not the right word. I'm getting nervous. Let's just leave it at that. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, brethren, give diligence to make your your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For even so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's a, dare I say there's a cloud that, that shines over those last couple of verses. We start out with this bright light about the, the divine power of God being so perfect and so complete, and including all of the promises that are contained in Scripture and applied perfectly to our lives. And then he says, but be diligent that you add these things to your faith. He's not saying add these things to your faith in the sense that your faith is incomplete without them at its heart. But what he's trying to describe, what I believe he's trying to describe, is the necessity that we have to build upon our faith, to exercise our faith. To recognize that the foundation of our faith in the perfection of God's word and in the perfection of his spirit and the perfection of his power is something that he wants to continually give to us and give to us requiring our action to receive it. I had a bunch of discussions this week with a, a good friend and the one comment that he made was, you, you never know what the foundation of your spiritual house looks like until storms come. And how we each have our own spiritual house. You know, we, we certainly have the, um, understand the principle and the concept 
that in our, we have a, a home. Ashley and I have a home together, not our physical house, but our family is our home. It's a spiritual house. But she has a spiritual house that she has to t- take care of, and I have a spiritual house that I have to take care of, and I need to watch out for the spiritual houses and, and protect the spiritual houses of my children. They're each individual. Each of our relationships with God is individual. They're supported collectively as a family, in a marriage relationship, in a family relationship, in a church collective worship family or relationship. But that care of that spiritual house is, is unique to each one of us. I'm, I'm going to read Matthew 7. The kids could rehearse this story for us perfectly. But it says, Therefore, whosoever hears these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, he is likened unto a fool, and doeth them not, excuse me, he is likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. We know that so well, but the the part that jumped out to me this last couple days as I was thinking about this, he says, you who have heard these words and do them, you are like the person that builds his house on the stone, or on the rock. In the same way, if we flip back to Peter, if we do these things, if we add to our faith, if we exercise our faith and add to our faith these different things, virtues and aspects. And if you have a a Thompson Bible on the side, it says increment of Christian graces. If we work to, to shore up, if we work to add these things to our faith, we are doing like the wise man, the building upon a rock. And not like we're going back and building the foundation over and over again. But what the analogy that came to mind this week was, how much time do I spend accessorizing my house. I mean, we all like to add, it's springtime, right? There's, it's awesome seeing, the, the, being able to rake the old leaves that got stuck under the snow, rake them away, go to our family. We don't do it often enough, but we love going to the, the um, nurseries. And last weekend, we went to Hafner's together. And we have this terrible uh, habit of going and buying plants in the very, very early spring. And we don't know, I mean, I, I'll leave her out of it. I don't know anything about flowers and plants. I know a little bit about trees. But when you go to Hafner's this time of year, and you're going to buy some big trees or shrubs or something for your house, what are you going to be drawn to? What kind of plants are you going to be drawn to? The ones that are flowering today, right? Anything that's flowering now is the one that you 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 cling to. We had a Jacob's helped us with it a couple of times, and it got to the point where we had to cut it down because I didn't read the label the first time we bought this uh, prairie fire crab apple. It was blooming like just the most gorgeous tree you'd ever seen when we bought this thing 12 years ago, 11 years ago, whatever it was. And I dug a big hole and I planted that tree and had no idea that that wasn't a dwarf prairie fire crab apple. And before we knew it, it had taken over the front of the house. And he kept coming and helping us cut different limbs off, and my heart's breaking every time they do until finally last summer 
another landscaper came and said, this is hopeless. You have to get rid of your tree. And so this massive tree that grew so fast in 12 years or 10 years, whatever it was, was gone. And now we had to go look for another tree. Well, guess what I was drawn to at Hafner's last Saturday? Every prairie fire crabapple tree they had. And they didn't have any dwarf ones, so we didn't get that. But we found some other thing. I don't remember what it is now, but it was flowering. And I thought, well, I'm getting the flowering tree. I want a big tree in the front of the house. I'll make sure that it doesn't get too close, but I want to accessorize the front of my house with these flowering trees. We want, that's what we like to see. And sure enough, after the first rain came this week, all of the blossoms are on the ground, and now I'm looking at a weeping thing that I hope is going to be cute the rest of the year. But we're drawn to what is enticing in that moment. We're drawn to, I've never gotten to go down to D.C. for the cherry blossoms. I'd like to see that at some point. But a cherry tree is a pretty tree the rest of the time, but the blossoms are are beautiful. When we watch them even just around the city here, it's not quite the same as what I imagine around the tidal basin down there, but it's beautiful for a season. Does it apply or, or does it provide any lasting strength to the house? Does it do anything for the support of the house? Is it When a hurricane comes or a storm comes, is that going to do you any, other, any good other than maybe in helping you with the, uh, the value of the house as you try to sell it? The things that I want to add to my earthly home, I need to be careful, are not the same ways that I try to add things to my spiritual home, to my spiritual house. We don't need to go back and rebuild the foundation all the time. Our foundation is Jesus Christ. But we better be careful that the things that we are adding are a support to that. That they are supported through Scripture. That they are the things that were the teachings that Christ gave to his disciples and that his disciples gave to us. And if if you think I'm not reading this correctly, Peter says exactly that. Wherefore, I would not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of all these things, Excuse me, of these things, though ye know them and are established in the present truth. He's not throwing stones at him. He's not saying, listen, I drove by your house and the foundation was really bad. He's saying, you're already established in this present truth, but I would be negligent if I didn't tell you you need to add to these things. Knowing that shortly, oh, excuse me, yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in resentment. Putting you in remembrance. Putting you in remembrance. Well, it doesn't seem like it would be remembrance. It, would, it sounds like that I would stir you up unto new things. Stir you up into new understanding and new growth and to a new interpretation. No, he says, I'm going to stir you up into remembrance. And stir you up in these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. I skipped a couple verses. Excuse me. Stir you up by putting you into remembrance. He made the point doubly. Knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you will always be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, which were made known unto you the power of Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from glory the Father, excuse me, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
You know, Peter had this blessing of being able to share the experiences, share the experiences he had made with the master, but then apply them also and almost compare them to the fulfillment of prophecies that they had already seen and were continuing to see. And he, he wraps up the end of the chapter here, giving this example, saying, listen, I was there and heard them say, this is my beloved, heard God say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's a miracle. That's powerful. That's indescribable and inarguable. But he also goes back and then finishes it here to talk about, and prophecy was fulfilled. He, he compares the fact and almost puts more focus on the fact that absent the miracles, prophetic words in the Old Testament being fulfilled today carry the validation that what Christ did, said, and what they now were preaching to them was the truth. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And he, he reminds them and, and, and hammers down on this. We have also a more sure, sure word of prophecy Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. In two verses, he tries to say something that is even a little broader than that. He's trying to focus for them. Do you understand that the prophecies you see fulfilled today, they're not mean, they weren't able to be manipulated. Men of old wrote these things down, not because they had um, some way of affecting the future so that it all could be brought about. They were inspired by God, wrote these things down, and died. And now, hundreds, thousands, whatever it is years later, we can see the, the message of Christ, the truth of salvation, fulfilled in all of our lives and all of our hearts as the perfect execution of that prophecy or fulfillment of that prophecy. And he's like, understand, it's not, it, prophecy is not the kind of thing or, it, that, that can be manipulated. He says, it's not, Scripture is not up to any private interpretation. Does that mean that we're not supposed to discern it? Certainly not. Do we understand every aspect of it? No. But what he's saying is, if you're going to figure out and trying to discern what this says, don't take this, then take this, then take six other books and, and try to figure out how those interpretations apply to this. He says, no. If it says it in the Old Testament, figure out where it's answered in the New. If it says it in the New Testament, see where the nature of God is proven out in the Old. And see how those things come together. That like precious faith. The beginning of it, we talk about it as coming from two divergent backgrounds. Recognize that God's word isn't divergent. It's not, it doesn't contradict itself. It might take us some study to understand how they dovetail, but they do. And if we can continue to add to our faith these things, add to our faith virtue and knowledge and understanding, and I'm not breaking them down individually, but by adding to those things, we can more perfectly, not perfectly, we can more effectively understand what God was trying to prophesy in the Old Testament and fulfill to us here in the New. So, what do we do about 
what do we do about this foundation? If Peter was so adamant about telling them that they needed to be careful, that they needed to be diligent, that they needed to take that divine power and allow God to use it to add these virtues, to grow these virtues in their lives, how do we do that? And what does that look like for our spiritual, personal foundation? Does it mean that we should just be uh, singularly focused on, on me developing my personal relationship in this moment and just doing these, you know, perpetual study? Well, certainly perpetual study is good. But if I'm going to add these things, there's going to be action in my life. Adding to my faith these different aspects is not going to result in me sitting alone somewhere and doing it to myself. It might for a time. There might be times where I have to take, um, take stock of my life and, and quiet things down so that they can be re- refocused. But if I'm going to add patience, well, it's hard to be patient by yourself. If you're just by yourself, it's easy to be patient. Nobody's you know, adding anything to your life. It's a lot harder to be patient when there's a lot of fun at the dining room table. It's a lot harder to be patient in your daily work at the hospital, at the school, at the wherever. This world tries our patience. And if we're going to add to our lives patience, there is going to be interaction with others. Brotherly kindness, charity, all of these things that we are to be adding and to be growing in our lives are outpourings of an exercise that we have with him, an exercise of our faith in this world. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it independently. We can't um, just allow ourselves to think it's going to happen uh, as a function of our saying, uh, yes, Lord, lead my life. You know, there's a... I'm certainly not the person to, to describe these laws, but the we, one description I, I heard was, why do we often think that our lives are, are like, um, like a rocket in space? That once we're set into motion, that we just continue in motion until Christ returns. That we receive this one rocket shot of energy that we're sent into orbit and that we're going to orbit um, celestial peace and, and uh, Christian graces for the rest of our lives. That's not how it works. We, there are forces that act against us. This world is a force against us and wants to slow us down and wants to knock off our traje- trajectory. And we have to have course corrections along the way. We have to have energy acting in our lives that will continue to push us toward the mark. The direction of which God is going to set out before us He'll point those out and he will give us the opportunities to add that direction and add that energy to our lives. But if I just expect that, you know, much of the cases I was a kid, we talked, jokingly used the phrase how Eastern camp was a time to recharge our batteries. It's, it's great. That, that's absolutely the case. But if I took that as a, I'm going to get a booster shot of energy for Eastern, from Eastern camp that's supposed to carry me out for the next 365 days, No wonder by the time I got home, I was depressed and couldn't figure out what was happening. We need to recognize that there will be forces that act against us and act against our faith in our lives. 
And unless we are adding to our faith these things, unless we are availing ourselves of the divine power available to us, we will immediately be pushed off course. We will be immediately pushed back. And then we'll be, have our foundations of faith revealed to see how strong am I? How much can I actually handle? The blossoms got blew, blown off the tree. The siding is coming loose. You know, the, the doors are squeaking. But is the foundation true? We'll have time afterwards to put those pieces back together. But if I don't have the preparation in place ahead of time, if there isn't enough inertia or energy built up in my spiritual life already that when the rains come, I'm prepared for them and know how to avail myself of the power that he talks about at the beginning, that divine power, if I know how to call on that power and apply it in a focused and precise way, heaven help me where I'll be. The other caution was, you know, be careful what I do add. I mean, I jokingly said that about, you know, the flowers and accessories. But how many other things are there that I, I, I might want to accessorize my spiritual life with? Where am I getting, where am I getting my encouragement? I, the friendships, um, acquaintances, a, a friend I haven't talked to in depth for 12 years is somebody that is out of a sense of need, uh, reconnected this week. I can't tell you what an encouragement is to talk and to dive through and to dig into hard spiritual things as opposed to commiserating about how bad the Yankees are, commiserating about whatever other nonsensical thing might be going on in our lives. The relationships that we have, what are they doing for us? Are they strengthening us? Are they drawing us to a closer relationship with our Heavenly Father and with that individual and with the Word? Or are we just bouncing around to see, well, let's, you know, how, how are things feeling right now? I don't think we really care how things feel. I mean, feelings are good. I don't mean to be completely you know, cold about it. But in a world and in a time when we're all very... We're all very comfortable to acknowledge that our world is going to pieces. Everything is falling apart. Well, if that's the case, how excited am I to be working to strengthen my spiritual house? I, you all can't expect that by just sitting here on a Sunday and listening to a message that that is going to do all of the work. It's not. And when I look at, you know, we look at any given person's spiritual house, it may look perfect. You may go back and look at your own spiritual house, and it may look good. The only person that can really tell you what your spiritual house and foundation looks like is God. Am I comfortable asking? Is that something that I'm comfortable asking? God, show me, show me how the foundation looks. Show me how, the, how everything looks. I need to see the cracks. I need to, re, to shore things up. I want to make sure that we can use, we've used the analogy with the boat before, house, boat, plane, whatever it is, is the vehicle that you want to describe your spiritual X. How comfortable am I asking God, what do I need to add to this? What aspect? Faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity, charity, 
What is it? Show me. And be willing and be ready that we may not like the report. Anecdotal comment. I've never sold a house before, but I bought one. And they give you the home inspection. I've gone to a bunch of other people's home inspections. Um, home inspection is, I, I had to think as I was going to the one from my house, I thought, boy, this is a real, um, un- if I was walking through somebody inspecting my home, this would be a very uncomfortable situation. I don't like the codes enforcement officer coming in and telling me whether or not my projects are done nicely enough. But to have somebody come in and analyze your house and say, how much time is left on the roof? What does the plumbing look like? How's the electrical? Oh, you, Mike, must have wired that electrical outlet because the polarity's wrong, or your dishwasher's not plugged in the right way, or have, have all these, oh, there's a crack in the foundation. This, the water, I can see water damage back behind that baseboard. We, we don't like that. that. I mean, that's why you're not there when they do your home inspection. But am I willing to ask God to do my spiritual home inspection? If I'm not, God help me. If I'm not willing to have him do that home inspection for my personal home, for my family, for us as a church, then we're, we're missing something. And I'm thankful to say that I, I have a confidence and a peace that we all are. That we all are. And my question and encouragement would be that it's something that we readily do. And we do daily. We do it weekly. We do it whenever. And we allow ourselves to be opened up and and see where God has us and where he wants to move us. And to remember that he has given us, his divine power has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. There is no more powerful statement that we can experience. And to say that we have experienced it and that we have the opportunity, the right, the privilege to be called his children and to continue to experience that, I just pray that we give him the thanks and praise for it and and live lives that are worthy of that calling. The Lord bless these words.